When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Show. As always, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. We are available to you everywhere, including Amazon Fire TV. All you got to do is go to MD's Fantasy Football Show on the App Store of any Android or Amazon device. Download our app. You'll never miss an episode of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we're going to be going over the Sunday afternoon, week 13 recap on this Monday evening of recording the show live. And It's very interesting because this is week 13. Normally speaking, this would have been the end of the regular season for fantasy football, for especially for redraft leagues, typically speaking. But this year, we're going to week 14. So on one hand, the good news is that everybody is still going to be playing next week. Everybody is still going to want to watch this show, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Everyone's going to be a participant in the MD Nation We'll continue to try to win you guys your fantasy football matchups. Continue continue to try to win you guys money during the process. But after this, of course, some people will be out of it. Now, what we're going to do in this recap is, you know, what we usually do. Break down the action. Analyze what it means moving forward. And then go from there. Obviously, we'll have our recap show of the Sunday night and Monday night 
games tomorrow. We'll have the waiver wire report to get you guys ready for week 14 and moving forward. Because week 14 is probably pretty settled. It's either you're starting your playoffs now or you're already in the postseason and you need to get your team ready for week 15. You're already kind of looking ahead or you're just out of it. You're out of it completely. Some leagues may be out there. You have to play in a toilet bowl game. Some might have a punishment. Some have might have a, a cost for losing games. So, of course, we're going to try to help everybody get better. And that's why you always should hit us up on social media at BillyFMDFFShow, available to you guys throughout the weekend. But this is more about preparing for Week 15 than it necessarily is preparing for Week 14 unless you need to win to get in. So hopefully we'll break down all that action for you throughout the show today and really be able to help you guys out moving forward on what to expect. Who's hot? Because there's a lot of players out there who are going to be at the top of the list as far as their scoring leaders for the season. But maybe are not the guy you should be targeting or being fully confident in heading into your playoffs. Maybe you need backup plans because they've cooled off as of late and now your confidence is shaken and it only takes one game and you're done. So it's good to get prepared for the playoffs, especially if you know you're going to make it two weeks in advance. So that's what we're looking at from a fantasy standpoint, especially from a season-long league, which is mostly what we focus on, especially during the season. But the other aspect is this, before we actually get into the shows, we got to kick this thing off with some breaking news because I got a rant I got to go on. Breaking news. So Joe Brady inexplicably gets fired from the Carolina Panthers as the offensive coordinator. And all I can say is, I, I actually, I can't say anything. I have almost no words in my initial reaction to this news. It makes no sense. There's absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind the offensive creative genius that is Joe Brady. We saw it in LSU when he made Joe Burrow, who wasn't supposed to be a draft pick, into a first pick overall. I thought considering what Carolina's had to deal with the past two seasons, not having good quarterback play, not really having Christian McCaffrey for the most part, that offense has done pretty much all you could hope for it to do. And when I look at Matt Rule firing Joe Brady, he can say that it's about football he wants. Listen to me. Your name should be next on the list. Matt Rule's seat, which I didn't think should be on the hot seat, should now be. Because if you're going to make Joe Brady a scapegoat as to why your offense has struggled, then now it's on you. Because it's Matt Rule and the GM. They're the ones who wanted to bring Sam Darnold in when Teddy Bridgewater was just fine. And no worse than Sam Darnold could ever be. They're the ones who wanted to bring him in. You're the ones who wanted to give up the draft capital to then pay Sam Darnold, who's been a complete catastrophe as anybody who's actually watched him on the Jets could have told you he would be. That's on you. He's gotten DJ Moore the ball. He was able to get Robbie Anderson the ball last year. It's not his fault that you guys want to keep bringing back P.J. Walker as a backup quarterback who doesn't belong in the NFL. You've had the results to bring in Cam Newton off the street just to have competent quarterback play for a little bit. How is any of this on Joe Brady? Matt, I wasn't going to lay any of this on the coaching staff for Carolina because they've had a lot of bad breaks. And they're a team that's still, I think, on the cost. They're a player two away from really going over the edge, in my opinion. But now, Matt Rule, it's on you. This offense continues to struggle. If you continue to disappoint, 
It's all on your shoulders. You just paint a big target on your back for unnecessarily firing a very good young offensive coordinator, who, by the way, is going to get a job somewhere else. And I wouldn't even be shocked. I would not even be shocked if Joe Brady still wound up getting a head coaching job somewhere in the NFL. There's a lot of teams that are interested. And I'm willing to bet there's a lot of teams that are not dissuaded because he got fired, given the circumstances surrounding Carolina. So Matt Rule, I'm now on you. The target's now paying on your back. So that's where, that was my reaction to that news. It made absolutely no sense as to why Joe Brady gets fired. None whatsoever. We'll talk about what our expectations are of Carolina as the week progresses and we get into our preview matchups, our fantasy football expectations, and our gambling side because Carolina may become a target to bet against now. Although they're playing Atlanta this week, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But that was the big breaking news of today. There's a lot of other injury news that we're going to go over as we go through these matchups. So let's go ahead and dive into the first one, shall we? Let's dive into the 49ers and Seahawks. Work our way backwards here a little bit. Now, the Seahawks are finally able to snap their losing streak, able to hold on at the end to win 30-23 to over the divisional rival San Francisco 49ers. I mean, Seattle, if they could just play the 49ers every week, they'd be fine because they always get up and play well for those games. Now, the big question, of course, is, okay, Russell Wilson, have you downturned the corner? And yes, this was his best game since returning from the injury, but the problem is this. While he went 30 for 37, that's very good. He had two passing touchdowns. Okay, cool, you'll take it. The one pick, eh, you'll live with. But only 231 yards. So he throws, the, he throws the ball 37 times, completes 30 of them, but still only gets 231 yards. That's indicative of where Russell Wilson is right now. He was always the guy who could throw the ball 20, 25 times, come away with a 300-yard performance because he's launching down the field one of the best deep ball passers in the entire NFL. He's strictly a dink and dunk guy right now. Whether it's the finger, whether it's the fact he hasn't really played well all season long, regardless of the injury, whatever whatever you want to chalk it up to. He's nothing more than a dink and dunk quarterback who, by the way, is not running. Whether it be for injury or business decision purposes, whatever the case may be, he's not running. So from a fantasy standpoint, Russell Wilson did not turn a corner at all in this matchup, and even though this was the best game he's played in a while. So we're all wondering, was you know DK Metcalf, was the squeaky wheel going to get the grease? There was some element to that. They definitely wanted to get him involved earlier on the matchup than they had the past couple of weeks. He finishes out the game with eight targets, five catches, 60 yards. But a lot of it's just Russell Wilson still not playing well. There was a deep bomb that he, sh- he should have been able to get connected on, should have been hit on in stride, and Russell Wilson just couldn't get the ball there. And you can see the frustration on DK Metcalf's face. So I don't think this is going to turn a corner. Think about this. They scored 30 points. This is the best game Seattle's played in a long time. So what do you do? We've talked, Chris and I talked about this. It's hard pressed to believe that you're in a situation where you can bench a DK Metcalf. It's, and it's not on him. It's on Russell Wilson. You know it only takes one play with a guy who's that, that talented, who's that much of a mismatch. 
But at this point, we have to consider DK Metcalf a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three because of the slow pace and because of the quarterback play. So now, Metcalf, in your playoff matchups coming up, starting week 15, if you made the playoffs with him, first of all, a round of applause for you. That that's That's first and foremost. But at the same time, he's got to be a matchup-based play. If you're looking, if he's in a game where you think game script's going to push Seattle to have to actually be aggressive on offense, if they have no secondary, that's what he is now. Now, Tyler Lockett, on the other hand, I think he's actually a solid wide receiver too. Think about this. Throughout the last three games, despite all this going on, Tyler Lockett has had a safe floor, getting 90 yards, over 100 yards. And in this game, he gets eight targets for five catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown. Six catches, excuse me. Gets a touchdown in this game. So Tyler Lockett has been incredibly safe over these past few weeks in spite of Russell Wilson just flat out not playing well. So in a weird way, Lockett, who's always been the boom or bust guy, is now the consistent guy who you can have confidence playing as a wide receiver too moving forward. It's been every week now. And because Seattle has consistently had to come back from behind, they had to come back from behind in this game too. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Lockett is the more trustworthy target. A big reason going back to the deep ball situation of Russell Wilson because he can't hit that ball downfield consistently like he used to or normally can. I don't want to. I don't want to act like Russell Wilson's washed up and done for the rest of his career because he's not. But just the season, because he can't do that. Tyler Lockett operating in the slot, operating in the middle of the field is the one area Russell Wilson can actually hit with some consistency, with some efficiency. So that's why Lockett continues to benefit while his offense in general sputters. I'll mention the running game in passing for Seattle because you don't want a Seattle running back. I don't care who they are. Rashad Penny looked okay at times, uh, mostly receiving, did most of his damage receiving both the ball, had one catch for 27 yards, but rushing, 10 carries, 35 yards. Yes, he was more efficient than Adrian Peterson, who had 11 carries, 16 yards, even though Peterson's the one who winds up with the touchdown. The point is this. You don't want a single running back from the Seattle group at all. You can lump them in with the Houston Texans of there's too many guys, too much at a time, and you don't score enough for it to matter anyway. So you don't care. And stop throwing the ball at Joe Everett while we're at it. That guy was a fumble machine yesterday. And there's really no reason to target him until you get DK Metcalf more involved on a more consistent basis. Plain and simple. 
Now, San Francisco side, George Kittle, baby. Oh, man. George Kittle, just outright dominant. Nine catches, 181 yards, two touchdowns on 12 targets, rebounding in a big way from the week before when he had one catch for 12 yards. Now, we know George Kittle's always been a little bit hit or miss, but as long as Devo Samuel continues to miss, you figure him and Brian Ayuk will have to be more involved, more of the focal pieces of the offense. And I know people are disappointed by Brian Ayuk. He finishes out the game. He had three catches for 55 yards, six targets in this one. No, it wasn't anything special. No, it was kind of disappointing considering you're going into a favorable matchup. No Debo Samuel had already been operating as the number one receiver for the past couple of weeks regardless because Debo Samuel's been operating more of a running back than a receiver. And he gives you a very mediocre stat line. Better days are ahead for Brandon Ayuk. Especially if Debo Samuel continues to miss, which he might miss another week. They said the initial timeline was going to be one to two weeks. He's listed as day-to-day now. We'll have to watch him throughout the week. But I'm not worried about Brandon Ayuk. This was just a George Kittle dominated by such a wide margin that there just wasn't room for another guy, essentially. And we've seen games where that's flip-flopped, where it's Brandon Ayuk instead of George Kittle, especially going back to the second half of last season. So I'm not worried about this for him. And even when Debo gets back, they've been using Debo all over the field. Who's to say they don't just continue doing the same thing? I think Brain Ayuk, George Kittle can be, well, especially George Kittle, Brain Ayuk can be in the lineup with George Kittle and Debo Samuel on a week-to-week basis, including through your fantasy playoffs, because the 49ers have one of the best schedules to end the year out on. Now, what was going on with the running game? Elijah Mitchell wasn't very efficient in this one, although he does come away with the fantasy performance that you probably needed. 22 carries, 66 yards, gets the rushing touchdown, tacks on three receptions for 18 yards and three targets. Nobody else was involved. Jeff Wilson apparently had his knee injury flare up on him during this game. Kyle Shanahan saying that it's happened once before. When it's happened, he's usually sore for a couple of days, kind of suggesting that they're not anticipating Jeff Wilson to miss next week. And they may need him next week. So Elijah Mitchell in this game, he has to go through the concussion protocol at one point, gets cleared, goes back in the game, wakes up this morning and is having concussion symptoms and winds up back in the concussion protocol. It doesn't happen very often, but when this happens, the normal outcome is that player does not want to play in the following week. When you have symptoms the next day that are worsened with a concussion is very rare to get through concussion protocol. Not impossible, but very rare. So Elijah Mitchell, legitimately, we're going to have to watch him throughout the week because I think he's a serious question mark. And based on the history of this happening to other players in the past, yes, no two injuries are the same, but still, we have a history of this we can look back on. I would lean towards the under 50% mark of him actually being able to suit up for this game in week 14. So Jeff Wilson, somebody we might talk about in the waiver wire in tomorrow morning show at 10 a.m. at Billy Up MDFF show. And of course on YouTube, he's somebody we're going to probably talk about because even though he had the knee thing flare up, if he's good to go, he's probably going to get leaned on as the main back. And even Jamichael Hasty, who was back and active for this game, we thought maybe he would assume his passing down role. He only played two snaps. So he wasn't involved either. 
So we're going to see how this whole thing shakes out heading the next week, exactly who's healthy and who's not. But something we're going to have to watch very, very closely. Let's move into our next matchup, though. Let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was an ugly game to watch. Although the fourth quarter was a little bit exciting when Pittsburgh came marching through and the Baltimore Ravens just imploded and let the Steelers steal one. Now, a lot of people are talking about, of course, you know, the big story being John Harbaugh electing to go for two rather than kick the extra point. And, you know, hindsight is 2020. I'm, I'm not going to say that, but I don't understand going for two in that situation. And even if I was in his shoes, I feel pretty confident in saying I would have kicked the extra point. And it's because of how that game was going. Yeah, the Steelers caught fire in that fourth quarter, for sure. But the Steelers also, when the Ravens decided to commit to the run, they couldn't stop them. And I think I would have taken that game to overtime. Lamar had not been throwing the ball well all game long. You knew on a on a two-point conversion, you're going to have to throw. And the play you run, yes, it should have technically worked. Because Andrews was open. The pass was only off by maybe an inch, inches at the most. And we've seen Andrews time and time again be able to make that tip pass to himself and, and make those catches. So, yeah, the play technically worked. It just wasn't executed. I'm fine with that. But you don't even design a play where Lamar's on a rollout, where he can use his legs and actually run. You just set it up to where Lamar had to get the ball out of his hands so fast because you already had him set up to be stationary. Don't take away your best weapon when you need a two-point conversion to win if you're going to go for it. So I don't think I would have done it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. so I'm not going to try to sit here and rip Harbaugh. Especially, I'm never going to try to rip a coach for being aggressive to go after a win for a game. But just the way that game was flowing, I don't think I would have gone for it. But that's neither here nor there when it comes to fantasy football purposes. Now, there wasn't a ton of bright spots in this game, but there were a few. Najee Harris, 21 carries, 71 yards, five catches, 36 yards on five targets. I was never worried about his volume, but hopefully this puts to bed all the unrest that was suddenly popping up out of nowhere throughout the past week about, oh, are they going to start shutting down Najee Harris or start limiting his workload for next season because he's touched the ball so much. And all I could think to myself was, are the Steelers out of the playoff race? Well, until they're officially out of the playoff race, that's not going to happen because that's not how Mike Tomlin operates. 26 touches total in this game. I think that should put that concern to bed. And he's still going to be an RB1 based on the volume. As far as the wide receivers go, now obviously Deontay Johnson is the one who had the huge game. Eight catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns on 11 targets. There's nothing to break down with Deontay Johnson. He gets double-digit targets every single week. It's just a matter of do you get 100 yards and a touchdown that given week, or is it you know a bunch of taking dunks? But regardless, Johnson's he's a consistent low-end wide receiver one every single week with the volume he's been seeing and how good of a wide receiver he is, how much Ben Roethlisberger just loves him. So there's nothing really to discuss there. Chase Claypool, though, doesn't look good. He That turf toe injury is seriously hindering him. Now, he had a nice 40-yard catch in this game, finishes his stat line with two catches for 52 yards on three targets. But Ray Ray McLeod 
played more snaps than Chase Claypool did in this matchup. That's the issue for me. So Claypool is somebody we've been trying to depend on as a wide receiver three who should have more volume than you would typically expect. But Ray McLeod here, now it's only two more snaps and one more routes run, but still, that's significant. Where if all things are being equal, this should be the Deontay Johnson Chase Claypool show at the wide receiver position. Now, I'm not saying Ray McLeod is going to make my waiver wire port, and spoiler alert, he's not going to. But Chase Claypool is somebody that I think you should continue to roster because he can be a piece you can throw in there depending upon what your options, what your matchups are. But he's somebody who I have to start viewing more as a low-end wide receiver three as we move into the fantasy playoffs, maybe more as a high-end wide receiver four. And somebody you don't necessarily plan on using in the postseason or even using for a a must-win week 14 if you're in that situation. Because he's definitely hindered by the toe injury. I'm not worried about Pat Freermuth. Three catches, 26 yards, four targets. He didn't score a touchdown. Welcome to tight end land. You guys have been spoiled so much by Pat Freermuth scoring touchdowns nearly every single week since he's pretty much taken over the starting tight end position that you've forgotten what it's like to have a tight end when he doesn't score a touchdown. He's still a top six guy for me the rest of the season because of how consistent he's been. And if Claypool continues to be limited, he is the only true quote-unquote red zone target. I mean, Deontay Johnson obviously will get his too, but he's the only quote-unquote red zone target for their Ben Roethlisberger. So you're not benching Pat Freeman. I feel very confident about him moving forward. On the flip side for the Ravens, it's the same song and dance for Lamar Jackson. And really, I mean, we're not going to talk about the Sunday night game until tomorrow's show, but you can lump Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes together as far as their fantasy analysis goes. Huge upside, great players, hard to bench them, have to keep them, can't drop them, but you can't trust them anymore either. Now, at least Lamar's case, his floor gets boosted because he always runs and he has 55 yards rushing in, in this game as well. But it's just he's not putting up those top five performances that you drafted him for, that you expect him to have on a week-in, week-out basis. It's been a while since Lamar Jackson's been very good for fantasy. 23 of 37, 253 yards, one touchdown, one pick through the air. The turnover issues continue. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. 55 yards on the ground. You're fine with that. You'll take that. 
So he didn't kill you in this game. He didn't destroy you. But he's not giving these high-end performances that you really need out of him. And it's been a cold streak for a while. Marquise Brown, five catches, 55 yards, seven targets. He's dramatically cooled off as Lamar Jackson has been very iffy in the passing game as of late, especially with the turnovers. But you're still going to play Marquise Brown. I still have confidence in playing him. You're still going to play Mark Andrews, even though I was very disappointed by Mark Andrews in this game. Four catches, 50 yards, and nine targets. Now, that's not a tight end performance that's going to kill you. But the fact that he was wide open for a touchdown that would have won the game anyway before that two-point conversion he was wide open for a touchdown. Lamar just missed him. To not make that two-point conversion, to not get a single target really on that, or get one target, excuse me, on that final drive when the Ravens were trying to win the game. It should have been a bigger day for Mark Andrews. Obviously, he's been a top two tight end, will continue to be a top two, top three tight end, depending upon you know, where I'm ranking George Kittle in relation to Andrews behind Kelsey that given week. But nothing changes there. You're fine with him. You're confident with him moving forward. The two interesting observations from the Ravens side were this. First up, Devonta Freeman. He continues to separate himself from Latavius Murray. In fact, he separated himself big time in this game. 51 snaps to Murray's 14 Seven targets to his two, 14 carries to his two. Devonta Freeman, it seems as though between last week and now this week, has officially taken over that running back job, and it's no longer a committee. It's not the typical Baltimore Raven committee where you have one lead guy, but the other one still gets sprinkled in enough where the lead running back can never really be that valuable. No, 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 no. It looks like Freeman has taken over, and he should. I can't believe I'm saying this, but he looks, compared to Latavius Murray, he looks like a cheetah out there. I mean, that's that's how bad Latavius Murray is. But as a result of that, Devonta Freeman, I think, is actually a low-end RB2 moving forward throughout the fantasy playoffs. And he's more than 50% owned, so he's not going to make the waiver wire report, but there are some leagues out there where I know he's available. If he is, pick him up. Now that he's established himself well ahead of Latavius Murray... He's got very solid week-to-week value because you know he's going to be involved. You know he's going to have a chance to score touchdowns. So that was the first observation. The second observation was Rashad Bateman. Now, this was very confusing. I'm not sure if he's still feeling under the weather. Remember, he missed the one game due to an illness along with Lamar Jackson. They just weren't feeling very well. I don't know if he's still struggling from that or what the case may be. But Devin Duvernay was the second receiver as far as playing time goes, snaps and routes run. Sammy Watkins played more, had six targets compared to his one. Devin Duvernay, three targets to his one. All of a sudden, from a, from a playing time standpoint, Rashad Bateman came became the wide receiver four. Now, unless he's hindered by something, that doesn't make any sense to me. This is a first-round rookie wide receiver who looked like he was poised for a breakout just a few weeks ago on this team, because he was starting to get his target share up. He was starting to perform well. He was looking like he was starting to take the next step, and then he got sick. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to tell me he's the wide receiver four on this team? I'm not buying it. I think something was going on. I think maybe he wasn't quite right. I don't see how Rashad Bateman suddenly drops to the fourth receiver on this team. It doesn't make any sense. So my advice to you is this. If you have him, if you picked him up as a lotto ticket, 
and you don't need to drop him for something that you necessarily need right now that you're actually need to plug and play in your lineup. Because if you, if you need a roster spot, fine. I can see you dropping him. But my advice to you overall would be, if you don't have to, don't. Wait till week 14. We still have one more regular season game. Wait to see what happens this week. If his trend continues as the wide receiver four, then okay, go ahead and drop him. But it doesn't make sense to me that it would. If it goes back up to where I believe it should, which is the second wide receiver to Marquise Brown, I'm going to want to keep Rashad Bateman because he's somebody I think you can plug and play based on your matchups throughout the fantasy playoffs. I do think he is poised for a breakout. He was improving in his fundamentals every single week. So I just I got to see one more week before I just bail on Rashad Bateman if I can afford to do so. But that was the second observation out of the Ravens too. Let's get into our next matchup. Let's talk about Washington and the Las Vegas Raiders, this pitiful, boring of a game. But Washington won 17-15. Washington 6-6. Six and six. This team that looked like it was dead to rights is suddenly in the thick of the NFC hunt, the playoff hunt. Unbelievable. Their defense somehow got better without Chase Young. Explain that one. That's the Raiders. They had a hard time moving the ball. Derek Carr, 28 of 38, 249 yards. Didn't throw a pick, I'll give him that, but no touchdowns either. Hunter Renfro, though, he continues to just, you want to talk about a high-end, lock in wide receiver two that you can expect great performance out of every single week? That's Hunter Renfro. And even with Darren Waller in there, he's been the leading Security blanket wide receiver for the Raiders. And if you're in full point PPR leagues, he's dominating. He's almost he's he's pretty much a, a top twelve a borderline wide receiver one in full point PPR leagues and half point, which is usually what I try to focus on on this show in particular. High end wide receiver two. Nine catches, 102 yards on ten targets. Now, as long as Darren Waller continues to miss, obviously his floor and ceiling ratio get boosted a little bit. But he's seeing a ton of targets even when Waller was in the lineup. So I'm not really worried about that aspect of it. Now, what did Waller directly affect? Foster Moreau. Everybody was excited about Foster Moreau. We always tend to get a little overly excited whenever we see an opportunity for a tight end that we know has a good athletic receiving skill set suddenly be in a position where they may actually see a decent amount of targets. Because that's just how starved we are to find you know, tight ends outside the top six ones that are there every single week. He had one catch for 34 yards on three targets. He played the whole time, though. He was a part of the offense. I think if Darren Waller were to miss again this week, I would be sticking with the idea that you can stream Foster Moreau. I'm not going to come off of that. We know this guy has a knack for the end zone. Even when Darren Waller's out there, sometimes he steals his touchdowns. So I'm not going to come off of him as streaming option. Now, Waller is listed as day-to-day, so we'll have to watch him throughout the week to see if he's able to come back this week or not. But for now, Foster Moreau will still be a streaming option for me. I'm not going to come off of him because he didn't quite have the performance you were hoping for. I mean, 34 yards for most tight ends is actually fine as long as they get the touchdown to go with it. And that, that's all we're really talking about there. Here's the main observation for the Raiders. Now, obviously, the news is that Kenyon Drake broke his ankle, so he's going to be out. Now, if Jalen Richard wasn't in for this game, we suspect he'll be back sooner rather than later. But with Kenyon Drake out of the way, Peyton Barber barely played. 
it was completely the Josh Jacobs show. I think there's a very good opportunity here that Josh Jacobs could just act as the workhorse back. He had nine targets in this game, nine receptions, 38 yards, 13 carries, 52 yards, and a rushing touchdown. I kept telling you guys, Josh Jacobs might be a league winner this season with the way everything is shaking out and his volume in the passing game continuing to rise. And that with Kenyon Drake hurt. If he gets, he might get Najee Harris level volume. Raiders are six and six, too. They're hanging on by a throw to try and make the playoffs in the AFC, which is much more competitive, in my opinion, than the NFC is this season. You're gonna have a you're gonna have to have a better record to get that seventh seed in the AFC than you are in the NFC. So Josh Jacobs gives him that best chance to win. As long as he's healthy, and that has been a question this year and other years, especially with his lower, lower extremities. But if he's able to stay healthy, he seriously might be looking at a Najee Harris level workload the rest of the way. So if you're Josh Jacobs owner, you're sitting on a bit of a gold mine. Outside of Hunter Renfro, outside of Josh Jacobs, it's neither here nor there. Deshaun Jackson continues to be a complete DFS flyer. Nothing more. Zay Jones, for the first time, actually played more than Brian Edwards in this game, but you don't care about either one of them either. On the Washington side, let's start off with the disappointments. So Terry McLaurin, Terry McLaurin has been, unfortunately, a major boom or bust receiver. Now, I expected this game to be a little bit more high scoring on both ends. You have two defenses that are kind of struggling as of late. Two offenses that look like they kind of figure something out, especially in the vertical passing game. That was non-existent in this game. The vertical passing game wasn't there. Both defenses prepared well for that aspect of it. Tim McLaurin finishes with three catches for 22 yards and five targets. I know there's a lot of people out there asking the question, can you trust Terry McLaurin? Kind of the same way you're asking, can you trust the DK Metcalf? The difference is with McLaurin, I know, I know, that he's in line for the targets. More times, 99.9% of the time, Terry McLaurin is going to lead the Washington football team in targets. So I'm not going to come off of Terry McLaurin with that kind of a volume on a team that, generally speaking, is going to be trailing, especially when they're playing better competition. Or at least be in neutral game scripts. So I'm sticking with Terry McLaurin with confidence. I'm not moving off of him. Logan Thomas. Now, thankfully, the news on him today wound up being decent for, for his sake anyway. He has three catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown in this matchup. It was at first believed that he was going to have an ACL, possibly even an MCL injury. Sounds like he might not have torn his ACL. And Washington's hopeful that if they're going to make the postseason, they might even get Logan Thomas back at some point. But I think for fantasy football purposes, I think you can look at Logan Thomas as somebody who's done. He's done for the year. Now, I'm not going to hit the dump button on a guy who's out for the rest of the year due to injury. But if you have Logan Thomas, I I would drop him. Because I, I doubt he's back in any kind of meaningful way for you in your fantasy playoffs. Now, Ricky Seals-Jones, who doesn't show up on the box score this particular week, his hip injury was doing better. So if he's able to be out there, it will be Ricky Seals-Jones over John Bates, some people who have brought his name up. And Ricky Seals-Jones was somebody who was consistently able to give you top 12 tight end performances when thrust in the situation to do so. But that's all going to come down to, can he play? Is he healthy? If not, it will be John Bates. I got to tell you, I don't think John Bates is going to make my streaming territory. 
I know he has a nice little receiving skill set, but there's just too much raw ability there. Not enough to sink your teeth into where I think you're going to have better streaming options to be able to go with. I doubt he's going to get into my streaming territory of tight ends. It was Ricky Seals Jones. That's a different story. Very established. And we already saw him do it this season. Now, the other main story for Washington is Antonio Gibson. Jaden McKissick out. Everybody's wondering, okay, you're bringing in Smallwood, Wendell Smallwood, who's still somehow bouncing around, but you're bringing Wendell Smallwood, and you're bringing in, you have Jared Patterson. Will these guys get sprinkled in, or will you just step out of the way and let Antonio Gibson be the workhorse back that we always thought he should be meant to be? And Washington actually got out of the way and let Antonio Gibson be Antonio Gibson. 23 carries, 88 yards, not overly efficient on the ground, but you'll love the volume. And then Antonio Gibson gets five receptions for 23 yards and a touchdown on six targets through the air. Last week, he had seven targets. Last week, he has six targets. He keeps putting up that kind of a target share. Antonio Gibson's going to be back to low-end RB1 levels real soon. But we don't know when McKissick's going to be back. Keep in mind, it wasn't just a concussion that he suffered. He also suffered a neck injury. So this isn't something that I think he'll necessarily be back from in week 14. Maybe not even week 15. So something to watch. But as long as he's out, Antonio Gibson will be a low-end RB1 at least the rest of the way. We'll find out exactly what happens with McKissick. And possibly, if he keeps playing like this, and Washington keeps winning games as a result, he may take over completely and may decide, you know what? We are a better team. We are a better offense when Antonio Gibson's just leading the way. And maybe they never turn back to J.D. McKissick as a result. Quite possible if he continues to play this way. So now let's dive into the Rams and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll be real quick on the Jacksonville side because we got, we got loads to talk about on the Rams side, but definitely not on the Jacksonville side. So the only thing really to discuss here is James Robinson, okay? Obviously, huge disappointment fantasy-wise. Only eight carries, 24 yards. He didn't tack on, you know, much in the passing game. Four targets, one catch, 11 yards. Didn't play much in this game. It was almost a 50-50 committee, essentially, with Carlos Hyde. Now, part of it, yes, he is definitely hindered by the knee and heel issue. He didn't look like his explosive self out there and had practice limited capacity all week long leading up until this point. But he has been kind of dealing with these issues for the past few weeks. And he's able to put up better fantasy performances. I think there's a mixture of he's hindered by it. He might have had a more of a rough week than he's had in weeks past with these injuries. Remember on Thursday, we had conflicting reports about whether or not he practiced at all or not. So it sounds like he may be dealing with it a little bit more severely combined with the fact that this game was out of hand early. And once it was out of hand, they kind of just turned things over to Carlos Hyde because why bother getting James Robinson hurt at that point? It's not even a competitive game anyway. So all of that to say, I'm not worried about James Robinson in your playoff runs. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be okay. I think you continue to play him as a volume-based RB2. Obviously, you continue to have to watch the injury reports. You also have to look out for Carlos Hyde. You might need to go pick him up. We'll probably talk about him in the waiver wire report along with a slew of other handcuffs that you need to target before you head into your postseasons. But I'm not worried about James Robinson. I know people are going to be freaking out about the box score eventually with him. The wide receivers are a travesty 
because Trevor Lawrence is a travesty because the offense is a travesty because Urban Meyer's travesty. Till something changes from the top, the bottom won't won't be able to follow. So the only thing you care about is James Robinson in this. I don't care about LaVisca, Marvin Jones, Laquan Treadwell. Don't care about any of it. I don't care about James O'Shaughnessy either. Big surprise. Big surprise, the guy we've seen in that situation where he can get tons of targets, does very little with the football. I don't know why he became the sleeper name he did for the week anyway. So now let's get to the Rams side. Let's start with the negative first because there's a lot of positive and, you know, I want to end this matchup on a positive note. So obviously, I hope, I hope, MD Nation, you heeded the word that we put out on social media on Sunday morning at Bailey of MDFF show. We said, look, sounds like Darrell Henderson's going to be active. However, the Rams are being very upfront with the idea that he's going to be limited even if he is. So hopefully you pivoted. I dropped Henderson. He was still in my top 36, but I dropped him down to a low-end RB3 in my rankings before the 1 o'clock games kicked off in reflection of I don't know how much he was going to play. Now, we didn't know for sure. I hope for your guys' sake you didn't wind up having to play him because he wanted up being active. I know it got some fantasy owners and they wound up with a big goose egg. He didn't even play at all. So that is the negative part. It's still his job once he's healthy enough to come back. The Rams have shown time and time again, even when Henderson's been a bit banged up so far this season, and Sonny Michelle has had good, good performances in his absence, it still goes right back to being Darrell Henderson's job when he returns as a lead workhorse back. It's not a committee with Sonny Michelle. So I don't think that's going to change. But Michelle proving, he was on my waiver report last week, proving why he's a very valuable handcuff. Because he's very capable. Not only is he a one-for-one, but he's a talented running back. I know it's against Jacksonville, but Jacksonville's been pretty decent against the run over the past month. He had 24 carries for 121 yards. That's five yards a carry. Had the rushing touchdown to go along with it. Three catches for eight yards on four targets. Sonny Michelle concreting the idea that if you have Darrell Henderson and Michelle's available, you need Michelle because he can very much be a very capable starter for you. And even if you don't go pick up Sonny Michelle, he's a great lotto ticket right now. So he was awesome in this game. The Rams did exactly what I was, I was hoping they were going to do. I was hoping they would take this opportunity against Jacksonville to spark their offense back, get right before they play Arizona in week 14 on Monday Night Football. Because I'm tired of seeing all these offenses that are supposed to be going off the struggle. We've seen it with the Chiefs. We see it with Baltimore to some degree. We see it with Tampa Bay here and there at times, although they got back on track. We'll talk about them later on the show. I'm just tired of seeing it. I want to see the offenses that I come to see and put up a bunch of points, put a bunch of highlights throughout the game, actually do that. The Rams are one of those teams. So they use this game to get back on track was exactly what I was hoping for. Matthew Stafford, 26 of 38, 295 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, was only sacked once. Cooper Cup gets back to picking up Cooper Cup numbers because remember, while he's been good, he hadn't really had that over 100-yard performance with a touchdown to go along with it. And even in this game, it was shaping up to being a disappointing Cup game in the first half. He only had one target. But then he had eight catches for 129 yards and a touchdown all in the second half. Ten targets for the game. So Cup 
excellent Van Jefferson, who's been a very capable receiver and has been really taking advantage of his extra playing time since Robert Woods has been out. Six catches, 41 yards. He winds up with a touchdown on eight targets. He's a consistent wide receiver three with some big play upside that I think you're going to be able to play consistently throughout your fantasy playoffs too. And then OBJ. So there's conflicting ways to look at OBJ in this game. He only had two catches for 28 yards. One of them did happen to be a touchdown. He did have five targets. He didn't practice all week long, dealing with the hit pointer issue. So his target share was way down. It was way down. Or I should say his snap share was way down. As he gets healthy, I thought he actually physically, he looked better than I thought he would when he was out there on the field. It didn't look like he was having that much trouble getting off the line and trying to get in and out of his breaks and get open. So my thing would be is if he's able to come back and practice this week in any capacity, and it looks like he's getting healthier from the hit pointer issue, I think OBJ's fine as a wide receiver three that you consistently play in the flex throughout your fantasy playoffs too, and including this week against Arizona coming up. So I look at it as more of a positive. I really wasn't sure how much OBJ was actually going to be able to play given the fact that this is a guy that didn't, wasn't able to practice all week because of an injury. And we know, we know how OBJ is when it comes to injuries. So I took it as more of a positive than anything else. So just good things all the way around for the Rams. It'll be very interesting to see them next week in a big match against Arizona and how that whole thing is going to shake out. But more of that will come on, on Friday morning. Because this, this week, usually we do the show Thursday night. We do Thursday night game cast and the late slate matchup previews. And this Monday night game, it will be the late slate matchup preview. But actually this week, a little bit of change. It will be Friday morning. So we'll be doing a full Thursday night recap along with the slate late slate of matchup previews for week 14. So we'll talk about more of that on Friday for that particular game and what our expectations will be. What I want to do right now, though, is I want to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we still got more games to recap and talk about our what we saw what observations we have, and what our fantasy expectations may be moving forward. Of course, more injury news. Make sure you guys are all up to date on, too. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back right after this. MD Nation, we want to welcome in a new sponsor of the show called Props Fantasy from PropsFantasy.com. Props Fantasy is a website and app which allows users to import their season-long fantasy teams to challenge other season-long fantasy teams. Their crucial difference is that you can challenge other teams that you are not playing in your league that week or aren't even in your league or not even on the same platform. The idea behind Props Fantasy is to let casual season-long fantasy players use the teams they already have to engage in daily fantasy-type contest for winnings. Users can wager anything from $1 up to $1,000 on a head-to-head challenge. Props Fantasy even harmonizes the scoring. If you're in a PPR league and your opponent is not, Props Fantasy will default to a half-point PPR or you can manually adjust it. They also handle things like standard lineup versus super flex. Their developers are fantasy football diehards and have thought of everything, including IDP. So if you think your season-long team is not just the best in your league, but the best in all leagues, this is your chance to find out and win money when you sign up for the Props Fantasy app today at PropsFantasy.com. So join in on the fun. 
You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Show, And, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available to you everywhere, including... Amazon Fire TV now on all your Android devices. But go to the Amazon App Store, look up the MD's Fantasy Football Show, download our channel. You'll never miss an episode and throw us up on the big screen. Love it. Very much appreciate it. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're going through the Sunday afternoon, week 13 recaps, and there was a lot to break down. But this one, I got to give a round of applause for because they deserved it. It's been a hard year. And for their sake, it was nice to see them come away with a victory. (laughs) Congratulations, Detroit Lions. Finally getting a win. Dan Campbell finally getting a win as the, well, he was the interim head coach for the Dolphins. And they they did actually get a few wins then, but... As an actual head coach, not an interim one, a guy who, you know, is actually supposed to be leading this team to the promised land someday. Gets his first win of the Detroit Lions. Conversely, uh, Mike Zimmer, yeah, he should be fired. <laughs> you can't, you're a team competing for that last wild card spot in the NFC playoffs. You can't lose Detroit, especially not in the fashion in which you lost. It can't be because you imploded at the end of the game. That can't be the reason. It can't be because Detroit drove down the field with seconds left and scored a game-winning touchdown. That can't be the reason. Zimmer, this team has been too good for too long and has underperformed for too long under his leadership. And this game, while you're not going to do it because, you know, this week or anything like that, because they actually play in a Thursday night game. So most teams in that situation aren't going to do it. But I would not be surprised, especially if they wound up losing to the Steelers. But I would not be surprised if the Minnesota Vikings, if they lost on Thursday night too, that Mike Zimmer in the 10-day week window before they play again, wound up losing his job midway through the season. It's unacceptable. They might not. But I wouldn't be surprised. And you know what? At this point, it would warrant it, especially after a loss like this. Jared Goff, 296 yards and three touchdowns. That should pretty much tell you all you need to know about 
how bad the Minnesota defense was in this game and how well Detroit played. They were just scrappy the whole way through. I'm on Raw St. Brown. This is a guy that I've been a big fan of all season. Was one of my sleeper rookies for redraft leagues heading into the year. I love him for Dynasty. I think he's got a lot of talent as a bigger bodied slot wide receiver. And I thought naturally, because, you know, given Cooper Cup and his relationship with Jared Goff and the role he played for him, I thought naturally he would take over as Jared Goff's main target at some point. That really never came to fruition. It was in this game, however, 12 targets, 10 catches, 86 yards, and he gets the touchdown. Here's the problem. Detroit, typically speaking, does not score 29 points. And up until this point, Amon Ross St. Brown has not consistently been the top targeted guy. There's not a Detroit wide receiver that I'm going to want to have on my team going into my fantasy playoffs. Just, I'm just, no, there's no way you're going to be able to trust that. If it's not named TJ Hawkinson, I'm not touching it. By the way, TJ Hawkinson coming through, gets four catches, 49 yards, gets a touchdown. So now he's been getting he's getting in the end zone more consistently as of late, and he gets eight targets to go along with it. My main observation was this moving forward. And maybe we won't find out because maybe DeAndre Swift will be back this week anyway. But Jamal Williams. We're all excited to play Jamal Williams. A nice matchup. In a situation where we're all expecting him to be the workhorse back, not just on the ground, but through the air as well. We've seen him be in that role before when the opportunities presented itself, be very good for fantasy football purposes. We still expected the offense of Detroit to go through the ground game because that's just the t- style that they are set up to do. Now, he did dominate the carries. He had 17 carries for 71 yards. The next closest was Jamar Jefferson at five carries. But Gawain Igwe Buke, I hope I'm saying that right. That, that is my only attempt that I'm going to make on that name. Igwe Buke. The breakdown his last name in the two syllables there when I try to say it. But while he only walked away with two targets and one reception for 13 yards, he had doubled the amount of routes run as Jamal Williams. He acted as the third and long two-minute drill passing down running back. That was what he was. That didn't go to Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams, in fact, only had one target, one catch, nine yards in this game. He wasn't involved in the passing game. Only 12 routes run. So that's a bit concerning. You're talking about DeAndre Swift. You, you want to make sure you have his handcuff. And the idea is that Jamal Williams would get enough volume that he could be a, a serviceable RB2. And it's not that he wasn't because he did get the 71 yards or the 80 yards total from scrimmage in this game. He just didn't walk away with a touchdown. So he didn't, he didn't dud you out or kill you fantasy-wise or anything like that. But it's not the performance you're hoping for. Especially in a good match against Minnesota. And now you have to question okay well, what is your role like you'll get the lead amount of carries but since when is Jamal Williams not allowed to be involved in the passing game his pass blocking skills usually always make him a viable asset in the passing game I guess Detroit's just decided that look when it comes to receiving the ball we went up running back back there who's got some explosiveness to him that's why you see God I'm just gonna say his first name that's why you see Godwin here coming and play in that role. So that's kind of got it. That's got to be a little bit concerning moving forward next week. You know, if DeAndre Swift does miss again. I think we have to view Jamal Williams as a more of a high end RB three than an actual RB two. So that was the main observation I made coming out of Detroit on the Minnesota side. 
But Kirk Cousins is a streaming quarterback. We know the matchups there. The possibility of Kirk Cousins finishing as a top 12 quarterback is there. 340 yards, two touchdowns. This wound up being an unexpected game script against Detroit because we didn't expect Minnesota to be trailing by multiple scores, especially not trailing by multiple scores in the first half. That That's, that's not something you think is going to wind up happening. But we know he's a streaming quarterback in good situations. Alexander Madison continues to be an RB1 when in place for Dalvin Cook. Did he blow up the way we thought he might, could, because of Detroit? Not necessarily, but 22 carries, 90 yards, picks up the touchdown, gets three receptions for 34 yards on three targets. The volume's there. This offense still flows with the running game first, whether that's Madison or Dalvin Cook. So you're still golden there if you picked up Madison for your Cook or you had Madison in general with Cook out. The other news, of course, being Adam Thielen getting out of this game early on two targets in the first quarter, knocked out of the game, winds up being a high ankle sprain. I believe we're still uh, waiting to hear the exact confirmation on the degree to the high ankle sprain. But whenever it's a high ankle sprain, especially for a wide receiver or a running back, it's usually going to mean at least a few weeks. Now, because of where we are in the season, we're entering week 14. High ankle sprains can be four to six weeks. So we're talking about the real possibility that Adam Thielen for fantasy football is done the rest of the way. Hold on to him until we know for sure. Maybe it winds up being two to four weeks if it's just a a less severe one. Who knows? But if it winds up being four to six weeks, you're going to have to drop Adam Thielen. And in the meantime, Justin Jefferson, who had already been hot and trending into the top four, top three receivers overall, anyway, will be a locked-in top three wide receiver every single week. The rest of the way. Every single week. There's no Adam Thielen. He's going to get all kinds of targets that he has not seen. And he's already a superstar wide receiver. 11 receptions, 182 yards on 14 targets. Gets the touchdown, of course, in this game. More of that's going to come with Adam Thielen out of the picture. Now, with Adam Thielen out, what does that mean for anybody not named Justin Jefferson? Because obviously, he'll get a few of those targets. But so will Tyler Conklin. So will K.J. Osborne. Now, Conklin's interesting because when you're talking about tight ends and you add to his target share, which has consistently been around six or seven, he actually winds up with nine targets with seven receptions, 56 yards in this game. If we're talking about him as a seven-plus target player at the tight end position every single week now, We're talking about a guy who's probably going to be in that top 12 more times than not. So Conklin's real interesting. KJ Osborne, a little bit less so. Now, yes, he played as the second receiver as far as playing time to Justin Jefferson. By by far. It wasn't close with anybody else. And yet, he would be the other interesting name of note. In this game, he came away with four receptions, 47 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. I still think he's going to be very hit or miss as far as what his fantasy output's going to be on a week-to-week basis. And I don't know how much I necessarily want to trust him for the fantasy playoffs. The one nice thing is that you get this week to kind of maybe get to see it one more time, see a a week in which you're going into the game, knowing you're not going to have Adam Thielen. How does that break down? How to utilize KJ Osborne in that role? We'll be watching that very, very closely. I do think he is a high-end wide receiver four with top 36 potential. And he probably probably will make my waiver wire report because there are too many wide receivers that really have much value necessarily. 
But I think he's more of an interesting name of note than he is somebody who is a bona fide fantasy playoff value to have. But at least we get we get week 14 to kind of see exactly how they're going to utilize him and what his role truly is going to be now with Adam Thielen out of the picture. Let's move to the Jets and Philadelphia Eagles. So no Jalen Hurts. The ankle sprain too much for him. They do get the bye week in week 14. So it made sense to not push it and just go with the backup quarterback, knowing that you have a pretty good chance to beat the Jets with Gardner Minshew as your starting quarterback. And they did. They took care of business. They won this game 33 to 18. Minshew who was probably a last-second streamer for a lot of people who had Jalen Hurts, gave you a decent performance here. 20 of 25, 242 yards, two touchdowns, didn't have a pick, had 11 yards rushing on the game. An absolutely fine fantasy performance across the board if you did have to stream him at the last second. Of course, the big benefactor was Dallas Goddard, having his biggest game of the year. Six catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns on six targets in this game. But it goes to show you, whether it's Jalen Hurts, whether it's Gardner or Minshew, this is a run-first team. Goddard led the way with six targets. That's kind of been the number for Goddard, for Devonta Smith, even Jalen Hurts and a quarterback. It's just kind of how this offense is designed. So they have to hit on a very efficient mark, Goddard and Devonta Smith, that is, for them to return fantasy value. Because it's not going to happen very often. They're not going to get they're gonna get into a lot of volume very often anymore. That's why Smith in this game, huge disappointment. Four targets but two catches for 15 yards on those four targets. I think you have to continue to play Devonta Smith as a high-end wide receiver three, who, of course, has upside. But you got to look for those game scripts where they're going to be more neutral or Phillies have to come back from behind. And they play Washington twice. They play the Giants. That's going to be the playoff schedule. So divisional opponents will play them tough and play them neutral situations, and all are good matchups. So I think Devonta Smith will be a high-end wide receiver three, the rest of the way and a viable fantasy asset, even though he has a disappointing performance in this one. Now we have to get into the real question. Of what are we going to see out of week 15? That's the one thing with the Eagles going on by this week. I have a lot of questions that are probably not going to get answered until the first round of playoffs. Unfortunately, because Miles Sanders big game, 24 carries, 120 yards tacked on three receptions for 22 yards. Got to be that bell cow guy with Jordan Howard out of the way, Boston Scott being limited after not being able to practice pretty much all week. But then he picks up the ankle injury, re-aggravates, I should say, the ankle injury that he had before that made him miss a few games. So now we're faced with the question of, okay, is Miles Sanders going to be available come week 15? And if he's not, what does that mean for Jordan Howard? His value goes up. He becomes kind of interesting. And so is Boston Scott's. Now, notice I don't mention Kenneth Gainwell there. Yeah, Kenneth Gainwell had a nice game here. 12 carries, 54 yards, a rushing touchdown, five receptions, 33 yards on five targets. Really did have a nice game. But the Eagles have shown that if Jordan Howard and Boston Scott are available and Miles Sanders is out, that it's their show, not Kenneth Gainwell's show. Gainwell, for whatever reason, had dropped all the way down the depth chart. This was a matter of guys were dropping like flies, He's the last guy left standing, so he got to have a role. I don't take this as Kenneth Gainwell moving himself up the depth chart where even if Howard and Scott are actually readily available, he gets to have his role that he had in this game. So it's still Howard, it's still Scott for me if there's no Miles Sanders. 
and Miles Sanders is playing and we have an active Howard and active Scott, well, those are the top three backs with Sanders and Howard kind of mixing in carries and then Scott and Sanders mixing in receptions. Pretty much a full three-man committee. But if it's down to two and Sanders is out, I think Jordan Howard's going to be in that, that, that high-end RB3 mix coming out of the break. They've shown they like to use him, especially in the goal line. And Scott will get his role back, too. So those are going to be guys, those are going to be names in the waiver wire probably we'll talk about tomorrow that you're going to want to have your eye on. But again, we're not going to get a lot of information until after the buy. So you're making those moves purely if you think you're going to be in the playoffs. Talk about another NFC East team, the Giants. God, they stink. (laughs) They're just terrible. And shocker, shocker, Freddie Kitchens is not an improvement as a play caller over a Jason Garrett. Not not even close. Not, Not even close. I don't know why we have to suffer through more Freddie Kitchens as an offensive coordinator. It's mind-boggling to me. Joe Judge should get fired. This whole giant organization needs to clean house and start over again. And now it's saying Daniel Jones is probably not going to play the rest of the season. That That's the more likely thought. Michael Lennon is now going to go into concussion protocol. So we might be looking at Jake Fromm as the Week 14 starting quarterback. Now I'll just say this off the get. That'll probably be a good thing for Saquon Barkley. Now, Barkley, once again, was mediocre in this game. 11 carries, 55 yards. You like the efficiency. Six catches for 19 yards on nine targets. Half of that coming on the the last drive at the end of the game when the Giants were just trying to do something offensively, and Mike Glenn pretty much just checked it down. It felt like every play to Saquon underneath. But Jake Fromm is a check-down quarterback. Mike Lennon's not really... And Daniel Jones, to some degree, is, but he likes to more hit his receivers going over the middle than he likes to check it down. Jake Fromm is a check-down quarterback on a Mike White-type level. When when you have Ty Johnson and Michael Carter you know, out-targeting all the wide receivers combined, that's what Jake Fromm is going to probably do, or at least something similar to it. So for Saquon... This might really work out. I mean, yeah, Kenny Gallaty got banged up again in this game. We still haven't been able to see Sterling Shepard or Kadarius Tony stay healthy. The only guy who's been a healthy receiver for them is Darius Slayton. Saquon didn't get injured in this game, had a decent amount of volume in this game, says he feels 100%. I think there's a very good chance he could be in line for quite a few receptions heading into next week. So that's the good news because that's that's his floor. That's what you have to base his fantasy value off of. He's a mid-level RB2, Saquon that is. And all you're really hoping for is that he's heavily involved in the passing game to boost that floor of his fantasy value. That's just what he is at this point. He's not his explosive self. Whether he'll ever be or again, that, that remains to be seen. Maybe he will. Maybe he just needs this year to get his feet wet again, get his legs back after recovering from the ACL injury. Or maybe, maybe he's fallen off the track. Maybe he's turning into the next David Johnson, where he had one or two good years and never really is going to get quite right again. We don't know. But you're not, not starting Saquon the rest of the way. Again, the volume makes him an RB2. Remember, Devontae Booker was an RB2 with the volume that he was seeing. The volume will make Saquon, as long as he's healthy, an RB2 the rest of the way. You are playing him in your fantasy playoffs with confidence. Look around the running back field right now. It's, it's flat-out disastrous. 
And as long as you got a guy who's got some talent and getting a ton of volume, you're playing with confidence at this point. There's nothing else to break down for the Giants. I mean, like I said, Kenny Galladay got banged up again. He only had three catches for 37 yards. Evan Ingram, four receptions, 61 yards, five targets. Maybe with Jake Fromm, he might be a little bit interesting to me too as a streaming option if he's out there. That's it. Darius Slayton, he, he he's not going to get thrown the ball deep with these guys there. So let's flip over to the Dolphins side because it's a lot more interesting over there. First of all, two attack of Lavoa, 41 pass attempts in the game in which they were pretty much, they were winning the whole time. So you'd love to see that. We talked about before the passing volume of this team keeps to it in that streaming territory, whether it's a neutral or pro game scripts. Only 244 yards. It does get the two touchdowns in this game, though, and no interceptions. Played really well. Miles Gaskin continues to be the lead ball carrier. Now, keep in mind, there was no Philip Lindsay this week. And that was significant because Philip Lindsay had 12 carries last week. So if he's able to come back, we'll have to see exactly how this whole committee thing is going to shake out. For now, I think you continue to play Miles Gaskin as a low-end RB2 because he's been the lead back both receiving and rushing. There's really no reason that should change, but I am curious to see how much Philip Lindsay comes in and steals from him and may lower that floor to a high-end RB3 quite possibly. But for right now, Miles Gaskin's getting the volume. You play him as a low-end RB2. Nothing really changes there. Didn't have a great game in this one, but the volume was there. Jalen Waddle continues to be his very highly consistent self. Nine catches, 90 yards on 11 targets. And what was really funny about this game to me was that Devontae Parker comes back. Mike Kosicki's already been kind of getting, I don't want to say phased out, but his target share had not been as consistent lately, even though it clearly should be him and Waddle as the pass catchers and a heavily passing offense. But Parker comes back, and then Mike Kosicki goes back to getting his, his target volume. He had 11 targets along with Waddle, seven catches, 46 yards. Devontae Parker, though, I thought for his first game back, in a really long time now at this point. You get five catches for 62 yards on five targets. He looked pretty good, and his his playing time is just going to go up from here. I ranked Devontae Parker as a top 36 wide receiver this past week. I think he's going to be a top 36 guy the rest of the way. I think he is a wide receiver three with some upside because we know he's the guy they're going to take shots to. They have Jalen Waddell playing a very particular role. The guy they're actually going to take shots to is going to be Devontae Parker. Like I said, with him looking that good, if he's able to stay healthy and get you know back into NFL conditioning, he might be a nice little valuable asset the rest of the way for another team that has a pretty nice fantasy playoff schedule. All right, next up, let's talk about the Colts and the Houston Texans. We'll be fast on the Texans. Zero points in this game. Tyrod Taylor has a wrist injury. So I know there's a lot of reports that he got benched. That was actually not the case. He got injured. And then Davis Mills came in. But they're talking about there might be some torn ligaments in the wrist now. If that's going to be the case, at this point, he's probably done for the rest of the year. The Texans, I don't know why you even bother trying to win games. Just play out Davis Mills. Let it just let this whole thing end in a disaster. Trade Deshaun Watson in the offseason and just completely rebuild. That, that's where they are at this point. So all you really care about is Brandon Cooks. And Brandon Cooks is not a trustworthy guy. Now, you're not dropping him, but you're not playing him unless you have no other option the rest of the way. 
six targets, three catches, 38 yards. Whether it's Tyrod Taylor, Davis Mills, it doesn't matter. They play against any competent NFL team, and this offense can do absolutely nothing. And it's not like it was in the beginning of the season where, okay, well, it's like, all right, well, this offense completely stinks, but at least Cooks is getting eight targets, a lot of times double-digit targets, and therefore, from a fantasy perspective, you could seem to play him as a, as a wide receiver too. No, over the past three games now, we're talking three targets, four targets, six targets. It's not a volume in a piss-poor offense to maintain fantasy value. I know last week he had a touchdown. Remember, he only had three catches for 40 yards other than that touchdown. So Brandon Cooks right now is a guy that you play. If you have no other option, he can still be a high-end wide receiver three, still a talented football player. But going back to Davis Mills as a quarterback, uh, I don't see how you trust it. Again, don't drop him, but I would look for other options to be able to at least mix in there with him and have other options to be able to choose from the rest of the way. The running back situation is just a, it's just a nightmare. I mean, David Johnson's out because of illness, right? But then it's not Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead, who had been getting 18, 20 carries the past couple of weeks, David Johnson goes out, oh, now he gets eight. Oh, Royce Freeman had to play a ton. Jalen Samuels had to play a ton. It, it was just stupid. You only care about Brandon Cooks, and even then, I want to try to find other options if I absolutely can. Yes, Carson Wentz was disappointing from a fantasy standpoint because against Houston, he was a QB 14 for me, making him a streaming option. But we knew that there was the risk that Jonathan Taylor could just take over this game and the passing game left, you know, irrelevant for the Colts as a result. And that's what happened. 32 carries, 143 yards, two touchdowns on the ground for Jonathan Taylor. I'm a little surprised they gave him 32 carries in a game in which they were dominating this much, you know, knowing that Taylor is the MVP of this team. But I guess they figure because they have the bye week next week, they're just going to keep doing what was working, get the game over with as quickly as possible, and let him, knowing that he's going to be able to rest up just fine over the next couple of weeks before they have to play again. But, man, he's been the RB1. At this point, he's got to be the favorite to be the RB1 again next year. And if you have Jonathan Taylor, you have a shot for a championship. It's really that simple. It's that simple. Michael Pittman was good in this game, especially considering Carson Wentz only threw the ball 22 times. Six catches, 77 yards on eight targets. Also had a couple of carries for 33 yards as well to tack that on. So he gets over 100 yards from scrimmage. Doesn't score. But there's really no other other pass catchers of note. Unfortunately, the Houston killer was not able to come through. T.Y. Hilton, only two targets, two catches, 22 yards. What's furthermore is that him and Ashton Doolin seem to split carry or split snaps, excuse me, as the third receiver of the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I don't know. if They like Doolin as a blocker, so I don't know if it had more to do with that and the fact that they were, you know, winning this game by so much. They decided it wasn't much reason to play T.Y. Hilton because that had not been the trend up until this point. But Hilton, who had been kind of a guy that maybe he's a wide receiver for boomer bust at some point this season, that's just not going to come to fruition. And now Michael Pittman is reestablishing himself that even with Hilton around, because remember that trend had kind of worked himself with Hilton back. Pittman wasn't getting as many targets. Pittman's now reestablished himself as the go-to guy, getting the safety blanket amount of targets that you want to see out of him. So you feel good about that moving forward as well. 
Let's talk about Cincinnati and the Chargers. At first, when I'm watching this game, I thought the Chargers were going to pull a classic Los Angeles Charger move and, and wind up blowing this game at the end. But Joe Burrow, who has been a turnover machine, especially as of late, struck again. Chargers get a pick six, and that pretty much sealed up any chance the Bengals had of legitimately being able to come back in this game. They went 41 to 22. Justin Herbert did pretty much all his damage in the first half, but still overall, you'll take the performance. 317 yards, three touchdowns, 26 to 35. He did have the one interception, but he was dishing it out all over the place for the pass catchers. Mike Williams, who I've been talking about at nauseum because he's a very controversial player fantasy football player right now. Where do you rank him? How do you value him? Do you trust him? And now two of the last three games, he's actually been very good for fantasy football. Seven targets in this one, five catches, 110 yards. Now, remember two weeks ago when he had that five catch, 97 yard performance with a touchdown. And I told MD nation, I told you guys this, I was not a fan of how that game went. I was not looking at that performance as a potential turnaround for a Mike Williams. And the reason was because that game all came down to the 53 yard bomb touchdown. He had at the very end of the game. Cause up until that point, only four catches, 44 yards, this game, a very different story. This game can be looked at as a potential turning point for Mike Williams. Why? Because they utilized him as the 1A, 1B with Keenan Allen. What they did in the beginning of the season. This is what I kept pointing out all year. Until they get back to actually utilizing both these guys as the focal points of their passing attack offense. Not just Keenan Allen and then sprinkling in Mike Williams, sprinkling in the tight end, sprinkling in Austin Eckler. Using them as their actual 1A, 1Bs. That's when Mike Williams was up to snuff, playing as well as he was. Well, that's what happened in this game. Eight targets for Keenan Allen, seven targets for Mike Williams. Overall, not the amount of targets you're looking for. You want to get them both back to double-digit targets, and usually Keenan Allen was at that point. But the way they utilized him, full route tree, all levels of the field. And again, it wasn't that they were focused. Herbert wasn't just focused on Allen and then Mike Williams. It was both of them. It was both of them. Now we add in the caveat that Keenan Allen's on the COVID-19 list. So now we got to watch that. Now he's vaccinated, so he still might have a chance to clear before Sunday. He might be able to play. But now you take Keenan Allen out of the equation, you're going into week 14 with a guy who might be a high-end wide receiver two, low-end wide receiver one, depending upon what the status Keenan Allen is. But the usage in this game can be looked at as a potential turning point for Mike Williams. I do have a question coming in I want to get to. Uh, We did talk about this a little bit earlier in the show. I'll just reiterate. Coming from Dan. Do you play Freeman with confidence? My answer to that is yes. Again, just to reiterate from a little bit beginning of the show, if you missed it, Devonta Freeman has established himself, has separated himself from Latavius Murray. So he's not going to put up a great stat line. He doesn't have high end potential or anything like that, but he is a solid RB2 as the very clear cut lead workhorse back of the Baltimore Ravens the rest of the way. So getting back to the Chargers game. So this game for Mike Williams actually made me a little bit excited. Jalen Guyton got involved here. Four catches, 90 yards, a touchdown, four targets. I mentioned him because if Keenan Allen does miss week 14, Jalen Guyton would be that second receiver to Mike Williams in this upcoming matchup, most likely. 
Austin Eckler, not his best stat line, but always he just finds a way to score. 14 carries, 59 yards, gets the rushing touchdown, tax on five receptions for 45 yards on five targets. He's just an RB1, and even when he doesn't have big stat lines, he still finds a way to get it done, which is that's what you want your consistent week-in, week-out RB1s to do. Speaking of Joe Mixon, kind of falling into that category, not a great stat line. Very disappointing, especially when you consider the playing against the Chargers team who's been completely terrible against running backs all season long. But a lot of it had to do with game script. Technically, yes, he winds up with 19 carries in this game, but it was they weren't really sticking to the run. It was very sporadic when they used him. They got down so early. They were down 16 nothing in the first quarter. They got down so early. They kind of just got him completely taken out of the mojo of this offense. And it was just a matter of stack compiling from that point on. So, but he does get 54 yards on the ground. He does get a touchdown. Wasn't involved in the passing game. That unfortunately was still Samaja Perrine, although ultimately Samaja Perrine wasn't that involved either. Only two receptions for five yards on two targets himself. I think had this game been a little bit closer, you would have seen Joe Mixon be a little bit more involved in the passing game, especially later on. He did have a neck injury. He was cleared. It was probably the midpoint of the game. And he was cleared. He came back into the game. He was able to get you know a normal amount of work the rest of the way. So I think there's plenty of confidence to have that Joe Mixon will be fine heading into week 14. I do think Samaja Perrine is probably the running back to own in Cincinnati, but I say that with hesitation because if Chris Evans were to come back this week and let's say Joe Mixon were to miss, I still think you would see a committee approach to some degree out of a Chris Evans and Samaja Perrine. I don't think there's a one-for-one handcuff for Joe Mixon if Chris Evans is healthy. Now, he was inactive for this game because he was injured. So if he were to miss more time, yeah, obviously it would be all Samaja Perrine at that point. Um, but just something to kind of keep in mind moving forward. Again, we talk about Burrow, 300 yards of the touchdown, two picks. Just wasn't good in this game. Picks up the hand injury now on top of it. Burrow is somebody who's going to probably slide outside of my top 12 because the production just hasn't been as consistent there. They got into a game here where you actually had to throw the ball 40 times. The last couple of weeks has been because Joe Mixon's been dominating. That's why he hasn't putting up much you know, stat lines. But this game where he was in that situation... Wasn't really throwing the ball all that well. Wasn't very accurate with it even before he picked up the hand injury. And then that just made it, you know, 10 times worse basically from that point. But T. Higgins was able to take advantage. T. Higgins, since the bye week, has been unstoppable. Nine receptions, 138 yards, a touchdown on 14 targets. While meanwhile, Jamar Chase gets five receptions for 52 yards on eight targets. And we'll throw in Tyler Boyd. He has a decent stat line. Five receptions, 85 yards, and seven targets in this game. So the big thing that people are asking themselves like, uh-oh, Jamar Chase, he's cooled off as of late. T. Higgins is coming on hot. Is T. Higgins now going to be the number one Bengals receiver the rest of the way? Jamar Chase is still playing more. He's still running more routes. The big difference is teams are keying in on him more. And because T. Higgins really hasn't been great up until this point of the season, They've kind of backed off Laxter coverage a little bit. He's still a very good wide receiver. Probably, you can make the argument T. Higgins is one of the best, if not the best, second receiver to, on any offense in the NFL. Now, he's a great, he's a great wide receiver, especially as a second guy. So we know he's capable of games like this, and sometimes that will lead to Jamar Chase having disappointing performances. You're going to play Jamar Chase. There's no, there's no question, no doubt about that in any capacity. However, however. With 
with with T Higgins coming on strong towards the second half of the season, you can't expect Jamar Chase to turn it back on to being the top five receiver that he was. So when you're playing him in your fantasy playoffs, you're playing him in week 14 and on, you have to do so with a little bit of a lower expectation that he's more of a mid to high level wide receiver too. And if that means taking a shot on a flex play for more upside or a second running back or whatever, whatever else in your lineup may have you, then maybe that's what you have to adjust and do. But you're not taking Jamar Chase out with his ability in this offense at any point in time with what he's done this season. Absolutely, positively, no way. No, no way. All right, what we're going to do now is I'm going to take one more break. When we come back on the other side, I still have about, uh, we'll say two more games to recap when we come on back. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back with you guys right after this. It's the holiday season, and you don't know what to gift as a gift or a stocking stuffer. Well, today's sponsor, Manscaped, has the tools to guarantee you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, and they have served more than 4 million men worldwide. If my math is correct, that's almost 8 million balls. So get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, which is at the top of every man's wish list this year. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower Body Trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, your butt, and your body, and the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. Let's not forget the famous liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine. Get the performance package now to receive their two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. The dads can't stop talking about this, the teens secretly buy this, and the women will love you for it. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Show. And, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available to you everywhere, including newly Amazon Fire TV or on your Android device. Just download the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Amazon App Store. You'll never miss a show. And you can throw us up on the big screen and watch us and enjoy us. From there, as always, I'm your host, Dan Maynard. We're finishing up the Sunday afternoon recap. Next up to talk about, we got the Atlanta Falcons, the Tampa Bay Bucks. So you wanted the Bucks offense, in particular, the passing attack to get back on track, right? We had last week, Leonard Fournette, total dominance on his part, four touchdowns. The week before that, the offense in general was, eh, it was a little misfiring. So you want to see them get back on track, and Brady does just that. They came out with the mindset that they were going to throw the ball all over the place. I think they threw the ball pretty much the entire first quarter. Like they, I don't even think they bothered running the football. 51 pass attempts in a game that was pro-game script the entire way for Tampa Bay. 38 completions, 368 yards, four touchdowns. The one pick that wasn't even really his fault bounced off the receiver's hands. So big performance out of Tom Brady. Big performance out of Chris Godwin, who had 15 receptions, 143 yards on 17 targets. And then Mike Evans 
not quite as gaudy, but seven receptions, 99 yards, 10 targets in this game. And Rob Gronkowski getting the two-touchdown performance with four receptions and 58 yards on eight targets, too. Oh, and I'll throw in Leonard Fournette, who had seven receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown, eight targets himself. That is the passing attack. Keep in mind, Antonio Brown, he's not coming back until minimum week 16. And even then, we got to see what Tampa Bay decides to do with him because he just made them look like fools by lying about his vaccination card. So, honestly, it would not shock me if Tampa Bay comes back and says, you know what, the hell with Antonio Brown. Now, because they're Super Bowl bound, they may decide not to do that. They may decide just to put up with him and keep him because this offense is at its best, and Tom Brady's been at his best when he has Antonio Brown out there on the field with the rest of the weapons. So for that reason, they may keep him on, but he's on thin ice. So the earliest he comes back is week 16, if he even comes back for that. With him out of the lineup, this is what you're looking at. You're looking at a lot of targets for a Godwin, for a Mike Evans, for a Gronk, for a Leonard Fournette on the most pass-heavy offense in the NFL. So you love all these guys from a fantasy standpoint, especially Fournette. So Ronald Jones, he must have been sick going into the game, but they ruled him out in the second half due to illness. I guess he just didn't feel very good. Gemini Bernard didn't play much in his stead, didn't come in on third downs, he didn't have a role. Leonard Fournette just operated as the workhorse back. Now, they only had 13 carries. Again, it was clear Tampa Bay's game plan was coming here and throw the ball over the place. 44 yards. But as I mentioned, the receiving stat line. I mean, Leonard Fournette is just, he's a mid-level RB1. High-scoring offense, getting all of the work. Excellent in the rushing and passing game this season. He's a mid-level RB1. Who would have thought Leonard Fournette would be able to make his way back to this standpoint where he is as valuable as they get the rest of the way? Not much else to say about Tampa Bay. I mean, you if you have a fantasy-relevant player for Tampa Bay, you're starting him. The only note I can give you outside of that is that Brashad Perryman operated quite clearly over uh, Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller as the third receiver, but it just didn't lead to much production. And that third receiver, unless it's been Antonio Brown, really hasn't led to much production at all this season. So I'm not really too interested other than noting that his playing time did make him as such. On the Falcons side of the ball, Ryan was okay. 297 yards, didn't have a pick, but he didn't have a passing touchdown either. So if you were trying to stream against Tampa Bay, didn't really go very well. The only guy I think you can play with confidence on the Atlanta Falcons is Cordell Patterson. He was very solid. 13 carries, 78 yards, three receptions, 18 yards on five targets. He didn't dominate the snaps the way that you had kind of gotten used to him doing so before he hurt the ankle, but he's still definitely the overall number one offensive playmaker. You're not really worried about Cordero Patterson in any kind of way. Yes, Russell Gage had the big game. Yes, he had 11 receptions for 130 yards and 12 targets. We've seen this song and dance out of Russell Gage. The second he makes you think that you can trust him, that you can play him, he duds you out in a heartbeat. Other than Kyle Pitts, who had seven targets, four receptions, and 48 yards in this game. So nothing crazy, but his volume, his role, continues to make him a top 12 tight end. I will start, if he's been my tight end, I will continue to start Kyle Pitts as my tight end. Outside of that, I don't really care about any of the other receiving options of the Atlanta Falcons. They are too hit or miss any given week. Let's talk about the last game for tonight's show. The Arizona Cardinals, the Chicago Bears. Cardinals coming in, finally get Kyler Murray back. They get DeAndre Hopkins back. And they get to go play against Chicago. Now, 
A very important note, if you didn't watch this game, it was very rainy, very cold, very windy in the Windy City. Go figure. And it just led to bad offense at times. It wound up being more points on the board than I would have expected. 33-22, 55-point overall, you know, over-under there. Uh, more than you would have expected. But it does explain some of the inefficiencies, especially in the passing game. Kyler Murray only threw the ball 15 total times in this game. So they scored 33 points and they threw the ball 15 times in this game. Now, fantasy-wise, he was fantastic because on that 15 attempts, he had 11 completions, 123 yards, two touchdowns, but then had two touchdowns on the ground. He usurped James Conner for once and ran it 10 times, 59 yards. So fantasy-wise, he was absolutely phenomenal, even though it was a very dreary weather game here. But just keep in mind, he only threw the ball 15 times. So I don't think there's really anything of note between that and the weather that you can really take out of the passing game of the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of people are hitting the panic button on DeAndre Hopkins because he only had two receptions for 32 yards. But he did have the touchdown. Yes, only had the two targets. But again, I go back to 15 pass attempts. I have a feeling he'll have a bigger role against the Rams next week, which should be a high over-under and will have a hell of a lot more than 15 pass attempts. Can't say that enough. So there's nothing really else to take out of the pass game. I mean, AJ Green had one target. Rondell Moore had two. Christian Kirk had three targets, only one catch, four yards. Zachers was disappointing, obviously. Only one catch for 10 yards. You just chalk it up to a circumstantial game when it comes to the receivers, and you don't really take much out of it outside of that. James Conner, he does still get the receiving touchdown, so he always gets you a touchdown one way or another, it seems like. Two receptions, 36 yards himself. 20 carries, 75 yards on the ground. Wasn't really quite efficient. Chase Emmons is going to be back next week. A lot of people are asking themselves, okay, well, is he going to just assume his role, which is he was getting a little bit more than 50% of the carries, obviously none of the goal line work, but he's also getting the majority of the receptions. I will be interested to see in his first week back where he's at on the carry work share. Will it be about 50% or will it be, will it be more of a 60-40 in favor of Connor? But I do believe full-heartedly, given Connor's just inexplosiveness and inefficiency overall as a, as a true pass catcher, I do think Chase Edmonds walks right back into his main pass catching role on this offense. Because it's just an up-tempo offense, they throw the ball so much, Edmonds will play a significant amount where I do believe he'll be a high-end RB3 upon his return. James Connor will go from being an RB1 to being more of a mid-to-low-end RB2 who's going to be back to being touchdown dependent but the point is you're going to play both Arizona Cardinal running backs I believe is an RB2 and as a flex Chase Edmonds I do think will go back to being the main pass catching back for this team upon his return the carry split is what I'm going to be interested in watching on Monday Night Football on the Bears side Andy Dalton was just terrible I think he picked up a hand injury in this game had four interceptions again just a bad weather game Darnell Mooney wound up being incredibly disappointing as a result Five receptions, but only 27 yards on seven targets. I still, as long as Allen Robinson continues to miss, and you guys should know my feelings by now in this show that I don't think Allen Robinson's going to play again this season. Darnell Mooney was going to have is going to have enough volume where he's consistently going to be considered a wide receiver two in my book, a very safe N one at that. So while they didn't quite go his his, his way this game, want to be Jakeem Grant who had you know. Five catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown. We know what Jakeem Grant is. We're not worried about that. Darnell Mooney, somebody that you can consistently play. And just maybe keep an eye on the weather throughout the playoffs. If he's in another 
game where it's setting up to be like this, eh, maybe you don't play him that week. But definitely more times than not with the volume he's been seeing and the ability that he has after the catch, more of a wide receiver too than anything else. Cole Komet was somebody I had I had a streaming interest in as a sleeper. He did have seven targets in this game, so that's the kind of usage you like to see out of your tight ends. Three receptions, 41 yards. The problem was Jimmy Graham's the one who wound up getting the touchdown, you know, annoyingly. David Montgomery was fantastic, though. 21 carries, 90 yards on the ground, rushing touchdown, and he gets eight receptions for 51 yards on nine targets. He was the leading receiver in this game. A lot of checkdowns. A lot of checkdowns. Didn't have a lot of time to throw the ball. Again, bad weather. Just a lot of checkdowns. A lot of try to be safer throws from Andy Dalton this week. But David Montgomery getting back to more of that stat line along with the volume that you want to see out of him coming down the stretch. So definitely a nice step in a positive direction as we head closer to the fantasy playoffs. That's actually going to do it for this show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, we're going to be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. on Tuesday for the Waiver Wire Report along with the primetime recaps, the Sunday night and the Monday night recap. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show tomorrow. Come back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show tomorrow. Make sure to follow us along on social media at Show. Download us on your favorite pod streaming app. Subscribe to us on YouTube and download the app on the Amazon App Store for Fire TV. I'm your host, Dan Maynard. I'll see you guys again soon.